This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Thank you. I just want to honour you as well, Howard. Uh, you have loved our family, and I really, I really just, I'm just so excited to be here this morning because of that. And, you know, you, everyone else has been very nice, but, but the, you're just um, a good friend. Thank you. Love you. That's all. All right. Let's not get too gushy. It's a delight to be here. Very excited. Just, I just love church. You know, I just love uh, this because it's something that, that Jesus is doing and that Jesus does. And, um, and it's just a, a privilege to open the Word to you. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to open up to John chapter 1. I'm just going to pray again because, uh, well, you can never pray too much. But this story here of Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel is a story where I, I, don't want to, I don't want to leave you with just sort of a bit of historical background and a Bible teaching my hope and, and my expectation is that we would have an encounter with the Lord in His Word. You know, when worship shifts from worship in song to then worship in the preaching and the hearing of the Bible, sometimes you sort of forget you're worshiping and with the Lord. And, and, and sometimes in this Western world, you feel like you can shift into a context of making a couple of notes uh, no pressure, but if no one's making notes, I'll just, I'll just leave now. But, you, but do you know what I mean? That you kind of check the notes. But we're really changed on the spot in the hearing of God's Word. That's how God intends to speak to His people, is through His Word. And, and He sets an expectation, John 10, that, that if you're my disciple, my, my, my sheep hear my voice. And so actually, I, I don't want to talk. But I'm going to pray in a minute that God would do the talking to you. And I really, I'm really going to mean it. And if you'll just join your faith and your expectation with me, I'm convinced that God will meet with you and that he'll speak with you. And he just has a way, doesn't he? I don't know how long many have walked with Jesus, but he just has a way of being far more than we actually expected or anticipated. He just has a way. I'll give you one reason why I love this story as well. is because Jesus meets with a skeptic, an undeserving person. And and it's a bit like when he met me when I was 18 and I was saved. And I was on the university at Loughborough Business School. And at 18, you know everything. And, And you have form an opinion on the spot about things that you wouldn't have had to take the time to study because in your humble and accurate opinion, you already know about those various issues. But in my skepticism, Jesus met me. And the same way Nathaniel has a friend, Philip, 
God sent me a friend, his name was Kevin, love Kevin, love to honour him when I preach because God used him in my life. Kevin came along and in the same way that Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see, Kevin said to me in that very simple message, the Lord met me. So there's great, great grace for you today if you're here. And so I want to urge you, just incline your ear to hear the words of God that are alive for us today. Let me, let me just pray for us. And you pray for you. Lord Jesus, I'm convinced because it is your covenant promise that you are pursuing us with a matchless love. There's none like you. Lord, we've, we've meant it this morning, what we've been singing. There's none like you, Lord Jesus. Will you be, be glorified in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives? And in order for that to happen, Lord, that our lives would be just wrapped up in you and that we'd be changed today in the hearing of your word, would you send a supply of your Holy Spirit, Lord? Lord, like I said, I don't want to talk. Would you do the speaking, please? And would you reach those corners of our hearts that are a bit weary, perhaps that have skepticism, perhaps that maybe have never even believed, never trusted, and put our full confidence in you? Would you come by your Holy Spirit and do a deep work in us today? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, John 1, I'm going to read this verse to you. We're going to start in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, when I hear that, I kind of hear, you know, anything good come out of Nazareth? You've got to hear it, the, the kind of enter into the story. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what I want to do is simply just look at these verses, and I just want to unfold them and unpack them just for a few minutes for you, just really the way John does. Because if John starts this gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and when the Word was with God, he's really explaining the Word, Jesus, to us. And so we could go into a little bit of detail talking about Nathaniel or Philip or a few other things or some kind of fig tree, but I don't really know much about any of those things. But what I do want to do is I want to give you a threefold perspective of Jesus because I think John is doing that. And so I want to just give you this first thing that seems like the most obvious thing is simply Jesus is loving a skeptic. And we'll get into that in a minute. A second perspective or second part of this perspective is that Jesus empowers a feeble message. 
Philip gives this kind of quirky, almost incorrect message about Jesus, but it's enough for God to empower that, to bring someone into the kingdom of God. Amazing. And then thirdly, Jesus meets a weary heart. And maybe that's you this morning. So just think about the the, the first one with me, okay? Remember Nathaniel's response, the skeptic. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So the first part of this perspective on Jesus, just, just do a little bit of thinking with me, just think. Jesus loves this skeptic. Just think about it. I'm not going to get scientific. In fact, you'll find very, very little of that in me. But think upon Jesus. Gaze upon him in this reality that God in a man is willing to deal with an undeserving individual. Think upon it, because in it is the gospel. We're going to just do, do a little bit of thinking. A little bit of work together. What do you find when Jesus, God incarnate, meets with undeserving humanity? What, what do you find? It's like a genuine question. You prayed for yourself earlier. I believe you did, right? And I believe you're doing the thinking with me now. What do you find when God meets with undeserving people? God incarnate. God in Christ. I find him doing this here in John 1. Extending kindness. God extends kindness to the undeserving. God comes to those who do not deserve goodness and mercy, affection, His company and His presence, and yet He gives them exactly that which they do not deserve. It sounds silly. It should be a little bit offensive to some. In fact, it's a stumbling block to many. But God does good to those who do not deserve good. It's actually a little bit of a scandal, if you will. Because who, I mean, who among us would do this? Actually, the Bible itself gives this as the grand problem in all of creation. How can a loving and a holy, actually an infinitely holy God even put his eyes upon an undeserving, sinful, and a broken people, a skeptical people. How can he do it? And God's own word says, if you read it, especially a passage in Proverbs that says, it's an abomination to pardon the guilty. It's unthinkable to just forgive those with iniquity, the the undeserving. It, It should not be done. In a court of law, if you've got... A, a terrible criminal on, on this side of the stand, and your family here, and your family has been greatly harmed with all kinds of atrocities by this criminal, and the judge rolls in sleepy-eyed one day and says, ah, well, we're just going to pardon him. You, family man, on this side would go, uh, not so much. I'm not already feeling that, judge. I don't feel the same. In fact, I don't feel that at all. There must be satisfaction. There, there must be there must be a legal grounds for this pardon. Is, 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 is he not the guy that committed this, this atrocity? That in which case, yeah, that we're going to pardon him. We're going to say, hey, sorry, you know, thanks for your time. Here's a sandwich, off you go. But if he's guilty, I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a debt to pay. So, 
So how does God get over this? How does Jesus keep going to people that are undeserving of his kindness? And how does he show up? And how does he relate with Nathaniel on this day? And actually say good things about this guy. He's an Israelite. In him there's no deceit. Spend time and affection over him. I saw you under the fig tree. And then display his glory to him and bringing him to the kingdom. It's the scandalous good news of a God who's willing to stand in the place and become responsible for everything you and I have done wrong. It's the Savior who you've been singing about this morning. John gives us a perspective of Jesus. God willing to deal with an undeserving, skeptical people. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, in Romans, Romans 3, I just, I see this shocking, convicting, beautiful, romantic story, again, in, in just such clearly defined lines. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. And without skipping one beat, or putting any requirement on humanity, or asking you to do anything that would qualify you for His goodness and grace, the words of God continue immediately on, saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are freely justified by the grace of God. Freely by, in fact, it says, by His grace as a gift. It's sort of like, as a gift, as a gift, as a gift. And when I look into big theological books that are almost a bit too big and heady to read, they all seem to sort of trip over the same thing, trying to find this Greek word and that Greek word, and I like some of that, but they generally all try to kind of communicate how, well, it actually says kind of like, as a gift, as a gift, sort of as a gift. Well, what does it say? It says just simply that God and Jesus is willing to come and take everything that was undeserving about you, put it on the Lamb of God, and stand, standing in your place, and put you in the place of Jesus, the one that's fully deserving of the grace of God from all of eternity. Jesus, the Son of God, fully deserving all of the affection of the Father, and put you in Him in that place. And this is what He's doing for Nathaniel. Jesus is loving the skeptic. John's amazing how he does that without technical terminology that simply records a story of a really annoying... I mean, he may as well have been me on the Loughborough Campus University, full of my pomp and pride and arrogance. He may as well have given sort of a panorama story of this, the same thing. That's what John's doing for you. He's giving you the story. But you realize the story isn't sort of a... It's not just sort of Shakespeare, it's not like any other literature, it's not Plato, it's not Aristotle. You realize the story is a living story. And you realize that you're in the story, don't you? There is no skepticism in your heart. There is no bitterness towards God or man where Jesus' grace is not bigger and more able to overcome. This is where John's going. Now I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to give you three of these. That was the first one. Is this perspective, this threefold perspective of Jesus? Jesus loves this skeptic. Now let's, let's go on. Go, go to verse 45 with me if you've got your Bible open. Because something happens here where John records how God empowers a feeble message. And this is really important. Verse 45 says, 
Philip found Nathanael, and God bless Philip, by the way, for his efforts. He found Nathanael and said to him, We found him! And he says, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now, Philip's got a message here. He's excited about Nathanael, his friend, coming along and encountering Jesus. Now, you would think Philip would come along and he'd say, this is the one of whom Moses and the prophets speak about. And you would think that Philip would have something a little bit more sophisticated. And perhaps you might think that that God would need Philip to be a bit more educated and a bit more schooled. Unfortunately, that's not what you get in the passage. And so God's Word records the most feeble of ministry. When you look in the Bible trying to find the most perfect of churches, how God really wants church, you just kind of keep searching for a really long time until you come to the conclusion that God has not given you this sort of perfect setup of church because there isn't one. God is so kind and good to come and collect lumps of clay and start to fashion us into these stones, lively stones. And Philip, and you and I, by the way, are one of those feeble messengers. Now, I don't want to get too hard on Philip, but if the Bible gives you these these messengers, like Peter, who's kind kind of foolish... And, 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 and it's not me being hard on Peter, because actually, you know, God's Word shows him falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when you've, when you've got God in a man weeping blood here. I, I'm, I'm hoping I would be awake for this. He's, he's kind of like looking spiritually into a cup. All right, we're talking about the redemption of all of humanity. You, you know, Jesus absorbing the sin of humankind. And Peter's over here... <coughs> What? This sort of unsophisticated messenger. You know, there's a little bit of a rabble, a posse come along. And so Peter thinks immediately, I know what to do. Gets his sword, slices, even does that poorly, completely misses, apart from somebody's ear. I mean, he just, just doesn't look good. He has the opportunity for his finest hour. Somebody says, you are with Christ, and gets all... Uh, uh, no, actually, and then does it three times. Remember the cockerel? That, that doesn't go very well. It's just the most unsophisticated of people. And you know, kind of Philip comes along a, a bit like that. And Philip is trying to say, this is the one of whom the law and the prophets spoke about. And so he could have an opportunity to communicate the beauties of Christ, but he, he says, um, the, the guy from, from, from Nazareth, which is largely wrong, because last time I checked, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but probably lived in Nazareth for a time, we think, and sold some chairs with his dad, swinging a hammer for about 30 plus years or so, but, but, but immediately puts a stumbling block in front of Nathaniel, because of Nathaniel's prejudices. And you can see that, because Nathaniel says, would anything good come out of Nazareth? So immediately you can see Philip just giving possibly the worst gospel witness he could pull out of the bag for his friend. You ever done that? You know, you were going to go to your friend and like, 
He's thinking, I'm going to tell my friend about this redeemer, savior, forgiver of sin, head of the church, and you end up going to your friend and saying, we, we've, um, there are some good cookies at church. <laughs> and you walk away and you think, that, that wasn't happening quite, quite the way I sort of imagined that happening. Cookies, savior of the world. But we, aren't we all Philip? You, you go, go, just, I can't help but go back to Peter for a minute because I've been, been dwelling on this. Acts 10. Here's that rooftop experience. The sheep gets let down. Peter ends up at Cornelius' house. You would think, after God appears to him in a heavenly vision, he'd be able to say the Gospels for the Jews and the Gentiles and everything that's going on there. Shows up at Cornelius' house and he says, Yeah, um, I was on a roof. And, um, and already... People are thinking, what are, you, what, are, you know, what are you doing on the roof on, on your own? Um, sounds dangerous. Uh, you know, you've already got nervous listeners. And Peter says that, you know, there was just like stuff coming down out of the sky. Um, you know, I'd only been with Jesus for a few years, but I'm just going to kind of go with something weird. And there's animals in it, uh, some with a split hoof, and they get saved in Cornelius' house. I mean, these are the weirdest sermons that the early church had. I mean, don't, like, don't shoot the messenger. Read, read the Bible for yourself. There's some crazy messages, feeble messages. Well, why is God recording the message for you and I? Because he wants you and I to know, you know, Jesus is able to use a heart that's just a bit excited about him. A heart that's just willing to say, oh, Cookies, uh, sheets, split hooves. Uh, just come and see. Just come and see. Whatever you share with your neighbor and, and, and the barista, just it, it's probably going to get weird in sections, but we've got a theology for feeble ministry. I mean, don't in, uh, like intentionally try and make your gospel ministry weird. You know? Don't add split hoof stuff. And, and, and sort of saying Jesus is from Nazareth when he's from Bethlehem. And, 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 and then Philip says, you know, it's uh, uh, Joseph's boy, Joseph's son. I mean, possibly, I mean, you realize where the, that's going. Nathaniel's an Israelite and Philip comes along and says he's the son of somebody that was trying to get married and she got pregnant out of wedlock and it was messy and the whole community... Um, you, you just picture Philip with me. Like this is the story. Philip's kind of, kind of grappling at a gospel message for Nathaniel. And he, he says, Joseph's his dad. Um, now Mary, she got pregnant. Uh, she wasn't married to Joseph. He's Joseph's son. Now not biological son because, and life is messy and it's not. But do you see where this is getting? Nathaniel. No wonder Nathaniel says, yeah. Um, can anything good come out? I mean, he's backing away is what I'm feeling. Can anything good come, come out of Nazareth? It's, it's just feeble. But this is the revelation of God for you in the Gospels. It's just plain, real life. Jesus gives power to the feeble message. You will never arrive at enough certificates and enough, enough schools of theology, enough discipleship classes, and I have personally found in my life, God has regularly interrupted in my early years as a believer my discipleship classes and regularly interrupts my academic courses 
and sometimes just stops me because he's interested in taking you by the hand and leading you to the Nathaniels, to the lost, because that academic certificate is not going to save this broken and dying world. But Nathaniel is waiting for someone that's just willing to say, I'm not sure what to say, but will you just come and see? There's power in the come and see Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that does the rest. My final piece of this threefold perspective of Jesus, first was that Jesus loves a skeptic. He's an expert at going to the undeserving because he took everything that made them undeserving upon himself on that tree. So he's really good at it. And the second thing is that he empowers a feeble message. Because when you simply say, come and see, actually Jesus is the one there communicating the message, sharing his grace, giving his presence. Finally, and I want this to be really personal for your heart, Jesus meets a weary heart. And this is, this is I just wanted to, give me, give me a few more minutes of your attention, because I really want this to rest on your heart for the week, this, this week, and maybe two weeks, who knows. Jesus meets this weary heart. When you get to verse 47, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael. Oh, I love those. I love the theology, and sometimes they're just like literally three words. It's profound. You know, God saw you. You know, God took notice of you. It's profound. Love those words when there's that, the woman with the issue of blood, and she goes to Jesus and just touches, the Bible says, the, 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 the backside of his garment. And the scripture says, Jesus turned around. I just love that. God took notice. That was important to God. Jesus saw Nathaniel. If you take anything away this morning, take that with you. Jesus saw you. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, this this was before your friend, your evangelistic friend, got excited about bringing you along to small group. In fact, way before Philip ever had to come and say anything, I was thinking about you. I saw you in effect. This is what Jesus says. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's response to Jesus letting him know that he saw him in that secret place was, you're the son of God. Because there are pivotal moments in the life of the human being, at least one minimum, when you find God and you realize he's had his gaze upon you from way, way, way back when. In, in the Eastern world, somebody like Nathaniel, an Israelite, would typically have a place that he would go 
to contemplate, to meditate, to ponder, to pray, to, to make, even in his own feeble way, some sort of attempt to take the burdens of life and to roll them onto God. The Bible doesn't communicate what Nathaniel was thinking under the fig tree. The Bible doesn't tell you that. And God probably has a, has a reason for not letting you know the secrets of Nathaniel's hearts on that day. But what God's doing is he's bringing you under your fig tree. He's bringing you to the place where you really belong with God right now and on Monday and on Tuesday. He's bringing you to that private place, that secret place where everything gets really, really honest between you and God. And just the stupid pressures of this world and the things that other people expect you to do just become strangely dim and don't matter in that place anymore. That place where no one's looking if you've fixed your hair and done your makeup and got your super dry t-shirt washed. But where it really matters between you and God. It's been said that a man is no greater than what he is on his face before a holy God. That's that place where God is directing you to in his word today, in John 1. Maybe Nathaniel was confessing uh, some sort of error, some sin. It's like, God, I just I'm, I made a mistake. I'm stupid. I've done this. What's the answer? How do I get free of this? Maybe he had relational difficulties. God, I I can't carry this. I don't know what to do. Business, life, family. Again, we don't know, and that's the point. It's like there's a space for you. But it was so profound when Jesus said to him, when you were in that place, I saw you. I was with you. Because Jesus is the one that comes to the weary soul. And he meets with the weary soul in such a way that it is so profoundly life-changing. Nathaniel, from this point onwards, is never, ever, 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 ever going to be the same ever again. In fact, he's so radically changed, it's like going from death to life. It's like being completely born again. And that's what happens to Nathaniel here. Nathaniel gets a revelation. You're the son of God. You are him. Jesus goes a little bit further, and I don't want to leave this out. In these final verses says, you'll see greater things than these. Speaking to him now, not as a skeptic, but he's speaking to him as a partner, as a colleague, as a family member. He's saying to him, you're going to see it. I'm going to make sure of it. You're going to see greater things. And Jesus says, truly, you'll see heaven opened. You'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Remember those passages way back in the Old Testament? Where you've got Jacob and he falls asleep and he has a dream. And he sees a ladder between heaven and earth. And angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Remember that story? It's the story of an earth that had a great big chasm between heaven and earth, driven there 
a wedge between God and man. It's the dream and a story of a great big slab of concrete put there. It wasn't like it was in the very beginning. When the Bible says in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, and you have that Edenic scene and Adam and Eve there and heaven and earth all together, the material with the spiritual and the material things are spiritual things. And then sin enters and a chasm opens up and Jacob has that dream and there's the ladder. But he sees upon the ladder the angels of God ascending and descending and in the dream of that old patriarch from who's your granddaddy, great, 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 great granddaddy from many, many, many moons ago, he sees somehow there's some sort of a ladder, some sort of a connection again coming between heaven and earth. So it's startling to him. It's news. And Jesus goes to Nathaniel, remember, who's an Israelite, remember, who has some sort of idea of these stories like we do, some sort of idea, not perfect, a bit feeble, and Jesus refers back to this time, and he says, this is what you're going to see. The reconnection and the rejoining of heaven and earth itself. A place upon the earth, terra firma, where an angelic and a beautiful time of God's glory will be restored again. Now, I don't think Nathaniel was, ex- was, was expecting that. He was thinking about what could come out of Nazareth. He said in an absolute amazement, Jesus, you know, he said, you're the Son of God. But what does that mean? It means, since you're Nathaniel, in the story, if you've hopefully been listening, it means that you have a little bit of a a crossroads or a fork in the road where you could at this very moment continue being a skeptic. I would advise you against that because there is a, a huge intellectual and a moral error in following that path, in continuing to be skeptical about God. It's silly. I repeat, don't take that path. I guarantee some will leave the room having taken that path. Do not take that path. That is not the way to go. It is my job to tell you, do not be skeptical anymore today. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Gaze upon His beauty. The mercy, the kindness He extends as a free gift of His grace. Because that's a hard path. And the day comes for every human being where one day every human being sees God. Some will bow the knee in adoration and say, I've been waiting for this, this is so good. And some will bow the knee because their kneecaps will be smashed by a rod of iron. The justice, the severity, the right severity of God, completely just as the enduring skeptics of that day fall crushed before a holy God who in rightness will judge them to be with the guilt of a skeptic. But that's what the gospel does for us. It gets real sober. It gets very real. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Let your heart bubble up and say, you're the Son of God. I see it. Because that's the other path to take where you can simply say, I'm just coming as I am. I, I, I want the heavenly right here in my earthly life. Yes, and amen. And Jesus just has a way 
of just being so much more than you ever expected him to be. And that's what he's showing Nathaniel. Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. He's letting you know it's what you're going to see, it's what you're going to have, it's what you're going to experience. So this is what Jesus is doing in this, this threefold perspective. I like those somber moments like this. And I, I, I sometimes feel like they're a wasted moment when we want to run ahead with the schedule. But I find God is in those moments. I find when we read his word and we just talk about it, I find that those moments are kind of heavenly. Because Jesus is really extending his immeasurable grace to you over and over and over and over in the scriptures. And he's extending this offer, this, this statement, in effect, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending, in effect saying, I'm going to be more than you ever expected because that's who I am. Just roll that burden upon me, is what he's saying here. If you're there under that fig tree and you're wrestling with that sin, Jesus is saying, I'm an expert at this. This is what I do. I eat sin like that. You will never destroy that sin yourself. I'm not phased by it. And he bids you look at the cross. Look at the cross. Where he was fully responsible for every single one of our transgressions. For he who knew no sin became sin that we would become the righteousness, righteousness of God. You see that great exchange? That's what he offers. That's what he says of the church, Romans 8, 1, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is something that constantly in this life is an enemy and comes and attacks. You've got to recognize it for what it is. You've got to become accustomed to agreeing with God. I am not condemned by this sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. If you wrestle under that tree with your calling or your future, God is letting you know right now, you'll find in me just greater satisfaction in life than you ever anticipated and expected. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a minute, and I just want to give you a little introduction to it as you do dealings with God. Don't jump out of that spot in the conversations you have over coffee, or as you break bread, or as you sing. Don't jump out of that place. Love this song by this band, uh, Sojourn. Maybe it's someone else's song, but they sing it so well. Love how this song says, Approach my soul, the mercy seat, where holy one and powerless meet. And that's what I want to invite you to do. Do you just close your eyes? Let me just bless you as you think on the Lord and gaze upon the, the true mercies that are yours in Jesus. Whatever brand of skeptic you've been, whatever questioning, genuine concern or anxiety over your, your future, family member, sin. Gaze upon the true mercies and the beauties 
the kindnesses, the graces that are provided in a, in a supply that you could not measure. He's not given up on you. He has not left you, and He never, ever will. Approach my soul, the mercy seat, where Holy One and helpless meet. Speak to your own soul if you need to, like David did. And tell it. Come on. Why are you cast down? Hope in God. Trust in God. And find yourself at that place today at the mercy seat of God where He's fully able, fully able to fill you with courage. You did not go seeking for Him. Nor was anyone else actually required, no Philip required to say, come and see. Because a very, very long time ago, he set his affection and his gaze upon you. He decided, I want that person in my family. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.